thank you, choir, and Miss Jeannie and Miss uh, Brother Bill for leading today. And uh, as we begin today, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to read from it, to study from it. Lord, we know that your word is truth. And sometimes what it reveals about us is uncomfortable and difficult. And we have that very thing before us today. So, Lord, as we break the bread of life today, Lord, it it brings a, a severe diagnosis of the problem that we as humanity have. Lord, I pray for strength to preach it. I pray that the people who hear it would be open and ready to receive it. And I pray that you would bless us from it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be back in Romans 1. If you remember last time I was here, it's been a couple of weeks, but if you remember the last time uh, I was here, we began a study in the book of Romans. And we looked at the, the theme verse of the book of Romans or the themes, theme passage of the book of Romans in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, for the righteous shall live by faith. That's a beautiful verse, as I encouraged you before to memorize that verse, because it is such a a wonderful synopsis of the importance of the gospel and what it means for us as believers. And so we're going to look. So, you know, uh, in in photography, when you take a picture uh, or at least used to, you don't do this anymore, but used to when you uh, took a picture with a camera, I'll tell some of the kids this because they probably don't know it, you used to have film. And in that film, the light that it was exposed in that camera exposed that film in a certain way, in a chromatic way. And when you looked at it, uh, if you were to look at the film itself through a light, it would be almost the reverse of the colors that you see in real life. And so you would have to take some uh, ammonia and some chemicals and you would expose that film to those chemicals and it would bring out the colors that we naturally see with our naked eye. But those other colors are actually still there. They're really there when the camera is exposed and picks up those colors, those chromatic colors and makes the picture. Well, in in this verse, we almost have the negative, both literally and metaphorically, of what Paul has already said in verses 16 and 17. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, but we have to ask why we need the gospel to start with. We have to start to understand the gospel. We have to start with the negative. And as we expose that negative we begin to see the beauty of the colors of the gospel. And so we're going to see that as we read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 today. Uh, So as we begin, let's read this together and then we'll start studying it. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible power, uh, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world in the things that are or that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. So I don't know if you're a big movie goer or if you like to uh, watch uh, movies on Netflix or on on the TV or whatever. But if you paid any attention to the direction of movies over the last couple of decades, what you've noticed is all movies, or it seems like most movies, have kind of formed into a certain pattern. Uh, my critique of movies nowadays is there's nothing new under the sun. Nobody comes out with a new story anymore. Every, every movie you ever go to now is a remake of something that has come before or a sequel or a prequel or, or some variety of some movie that was made back in the 80s or 90s or 70s that was really good and they said, hey, we'll make it again or make it better or we'll make a new story. And one of the plots that has become very popular in, in current movie genres is that of the origin story. Have y'all noticed this? If you've paid attention, there, there's this plot that most movies tend to follow, which is to go back and tell the origin story of a major character that's already had a movie or a story that's told about them. You saw it in the 90s with the Star Wars series. So in the, in the late 70s and early, early 80s, you had the three Star Wars movies. And those movies, if you've ever watched them, they begin in the middle of the story. And so in the 90s, they're like, hey, we need to go back and tell the first of the story. And that just kind of opened Pandora's box. And from then on, it seems like we've had uh, no short amount of stories of going back and telling the origin story of some character or another. Well, one that really sticks out to me is the story of Maleficent. Do you all remember the story of Maleficent from the Sleeping Beauty? Or Sleeping Beauty? I, I love that movie because Eden loved that movie when she was little. Sleeping Beauty. We always had to watch Sleeping Beauty or read the story of Sleeping Beauty. And I would sing her the song that Prince Charming would sing to her, and we would dance together, and it's just it's stuck in my mind. It's a good memory. But anyway, in the story of Sleeping Beauty, you remember Maleficent is this uh, example of pure evil. She's a witch who is after Aurora and Prince Charming because they are the example or the metaphor of true love, and she despises true love, and so she hates it to the point that she even transforms into a fire-breathing dragon so that she might snuff out this ember of true love in Prince Charming and Aurora. Well, in 2014, Disney decides to go back and to make an origin story of Maleficent. But instead of being an evil witch uh, from a foreign land or from the land that Prince Charming was from, they go back and they tell the story of Maleficent as this pure, innocent, good-hearted fairy from a magical forest who had a, an evil prince who came in and uh, betrayed her. And as a result of that, her heart turned to stone. 
Well, in the story, she begins to realize that Aurora is the answer to the, the trials and the, the stony heart that she has and the problems that are, exist in her forest. And so she uh, brings Aurora and she saves Aurora and she saves the kingdom and all that. So they totally flip the story of Maleficent from being this purely evil witch and dragon to this misunderstood a betrayed fairy from a magical forest. Now, unfortunately, this trend of writing a new origin story is, isn't just something that movie producers do. We all like to imagine or even reimagine our own stories. No matter how guilty we may be in our own story, we always imagine ourselves to be the heroes. Though we might believe that everyone else around us is corrupt and dirty and a cheat, we excuse our own behaviors because, quote, we have a good heart. But the Bible reveals a different origin story for every human heart. You know, it's interesting that even when we come to the Bible, we tend to read ourselves as the heroes of the story. But what the Bible reveals about the human heart is that we are not the heroes. We're the villains. You see, we're not, the the human race is not the safe and pure fairy that lives in a magical kingdom and just got done wrong. The human race is a body of people who joined with the enemies of God in a rebellion that has lasted since the fall of Adam. And so as we've read in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, I want you to consider this passage in three parts. We're going to consider the rage against humanity, the responsibility of humanity, and the rejection by humanity. So first, let's consider the rage against humanity. In verse 18, Paul begins this passage uh, by kind of, as I've said, showing a negative of the beauty of the gospel. So remember back in verse 16 and 17, he has said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And he goes on to say that in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So then immediately following that statement, Paul moves on to say that there is condemnation of God, there is wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all the unrighteousness of man. Understand, the gospel is only good news if there is bad news that precedes it. In our day, we are warned not to judge, not to condemn, not to talk about sin or judgment or hell. But without those things, there is no good news. If the gospel is only about living a happy and healthy and fulfilled life, then it is no better than any self-help book you might pick up on the shelf at some gas station. But if the gospel reveals the way of escape from the judgment of God, then it is good news indeed. 
So Paul introduces a real problem that is true of all of humanity. He says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Friend, understand, if you are outside of Jesus Christ, you have a real problem on your hands. Sure, you might not be able to pay your bills and therefore incur the anger of the bank. You might not be able to please your spouse and therefore have an angry household. But there is a far worse thing that is coming to you than any of those other things. And that is the fact that the God of the universe is wrathful towards you because of your ungodliness and unrighteousness. When Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed... The word there that is used is apocalyptic language. In, in fact, the Greek word for revealed is the Greek word apocalypto, from which we get the word apocalypse. So it means literally to uncover or to pull the cover back, to expose the truth about something. So God's wrath is being uncovered or laid open against all the unrighteousness of men. Understand that God does not take an all shucks attitude towards sin. He doesn't just shrug his shoulders and pretend like it doesn't really matter when we sin or when we live in unrighteousness. Now, we may minimize our sins. We may attempt to excuse them away. We may try our best to shift the blame. But God does not look away or cover over it. He reveals it. And he, as the word wrathful means, he is passionately vengeful against the unrighteousness of the human heart. So in this same verse, Paul begins to explain why God is wrathful by saying that mankind suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. And that brings me to my second point, the responsibility of humanity. Now, in verses 19 and 20, Paul shows how inexcusable the sinfulness of man really is. Man is responsible for his sin because God has made himself plainly known to them through the creation of the world. So theologians call this, uh, this way of knowing God natural revelation. So Paul says that there are two things that can be known about God through natural revelation. First, notice he says, we can know his eternal power. So the other evening, uh, while I was on quarantine, I got plenty of opportunities to hunt while I was on quarantine. And the other evening, I was, I was coming back from the stand and it was nice and dark and the moon was out. It was a beautiful night. And I like, I like to, when, I, when the moon's out, I like to walk back without any flashlight. I just like to walk back in the dark and, and you can see so much and it's beautiful at night. And I was looking up at the stars and there was just this sheet of stars and moonlight. And they were, it just seemed like they were shining four times as bright as they normally are. And the thing that when you look up at all that beauty... All those stars, the immensity of the universe, the power of the sun that would shine on the moon even when it's half full and give enough light that you can walk in the dark. It's amazing to think that it all testifies to the power of the God who created it. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Second, Paul says that we know his divine nature through natural revelation. Now, your translation might say his Godhead, but the idea of this is to say that we can know through the creation the basic attributes, the essential attributes of God. We can know who God is, what his nature is, through how he is revealed in creation. We can know his love, his justice, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, a lot of those things we can know or get a glimpse of as we see it in creation. So we can feel a taste of the love of the Heavenly Father reflected in the love of our parents. We have a sense of his justice through our consciences. We get an idea of his goodness in the beauty of a mountainside or a sunset. But this natural revelation has one predictable result among sinful humanity. It only serves to condemn us. Now, many have read this passage and made the mistake of of saying from reading this passage, aha, there's hope for the noble savages in some distant land who have never heard the gospel because they have the witness of creation. They can look at creation just like some of the Indian tribes have had the view of the great spirit and they can, they can know God in that way and be saved in that way. And yes, it is true that the unreached tribes have the witness of creation to show them the character of the true God. But Paul does not say that it saves them. In fact, he says that it is the very reason that they are without excuse for their unrighteousness. Understand, friend, there will be no one. There will be no one, whether it is you or the furthest person from the gospel out in the tribes of Africa or or South America. There will be no one who will stand before the throne of God on that final judgment day who will say, but God, I didn't know. Everyone has the witness of creation and therefore no one has an excuse. And that brings me to my final point, the rejection by humanity. In verses 21 through 23, Paul shows us the ultimate outcome of the unrighteousness of man. Now, these verses, if you want to picture them, they're kind of like stairs And there are stairs that we're walking down as we go from verse 21 to 22 to 23. And the the depravity of man sinks lower and lower and lower into the depths of his sinfulness and his unrighteousness. And so the depravity starts with the failure to worship God for who he is. Notice in verse 21, Paul says that while humanity knew God, They did not honor him as God. Now, this is the idea. The the idea of honoring God is the idea of glorifying him or praising him for who he is. So instead of worshiping God, they became, as Paul puts it, futile in their thinking and their hearts were darkened. So the first consequence of turning from the worship of the one true God is to be dulled in imagination. It literally, what Paul is saying is they became stupid. 
They lost their senses. Now what Paul has in mind here is the dark and sinister worship of the pagans who would do terrible acts of worship like cutting themselves and drinking blood and even sacrificing their children. So to reject God is not to just be independent. It's not to just be a free thinker as our people in our culture today tend to think. To reject God is to replace him with dark and wicked things. So this dulling of the mind would lead to another step down that we find in verse 22. Paul says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Boy, if there ever was a testimony to the society we live in today, it is this statement here. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They thought that by replacing the worship of God with the worship of someone else or something else, that they were the true wise ones. You know, all we have to do is sacrifice the right sacrifice to the right God and our crops will grow and we'll have more children and we'll be successful in our businesses. Instead of worshiping and recognizing the source of wisdom in the God who made the universe, they claimed wisdom for themselves and they became Fools. And then we get to the final step down into the depravity of man in verse 23. And I'll say a whole lot more about this next week as we move on in this passage in, ver- in chapter 1. But this is the beginning of a point that Paul will make through the rest of the chapter, which is called the great exchange. Humanity... In verse 23, Paul says, Humanity exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for images made after after corruptible creation. Do you want to know why idolatry is such an offense to God? It's because instead of worshiping the true God of the universe who created all of the beauty that we have but can't be formed by human hands, men instead take a rock or a piece of wood and they shape it into the figure of an animal and they worship that. How foolish could we be that we would worship other things besides God? But even today, men and women exchange what they see as right, see right in front of them for the glory of the eternal God who made them. So they say, I would rather have a moment's pleasure with this woman than to honor God by respecting her and respecting myself. They say, I would rather live in the fog of a drug or alcohol than to give my life wholly to God's glory. They say, I would rather have the power of success and fame than to make God's name great in the way that I live and in the way that I use my money. In all of these ways and many more, we exchange the worship of the one true God for the worship of other things. And this is the very heart of what it is to be unrighteous. So friend, there is no escape. From the wrath of God. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, there is nothing hidden, nothing hidden that will not be revealed on the day of God's judgment. God knows who you are, and He is passionately vengeful against your sin. But there's good news 
Jesus Christ has lived in perfect righteousness for you. Jesus always did the will of the Father. He honored God when we were dishonoring Him. He trusted in God's wisdom. And He would not exchange His relationship with His Father for the kingdoms of this world. And in His death on the cross, He paid the full penalty for your unrighteousness so that all who believe in Him will be saved from the wrath of God. Won't you trust in Jesus Christ today? Brothers and sisters, we must be careful that we do not minimize sin for the sake of worldly appeal. It is so tempting in our day to compromise the truth of sin, the truth about sin and God's wrath on it because the world frowns on it as too judgmental. God will not turn a blind eye to sin. He speaks plainly about it, and therefore we should too. But that doesn't just mean that we should hate the sin of this world. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't, but it doesn't just mean that we should hate the sin of this world. It also means that we should hate our own sin, that we should desire holiness, that we shouldn't sugarcoat or gloss over our sins because we are forgiven in Christ. Rather, we should pursue righteousness in Christ because we know that we have been saved from the wrath of God. You know, some of the people that buck the challenge of pursuing righteousness most of all are Christians who have their sins exposed. It's disappointing a lot of times when... when I preach or teach or someone confronts a Christian on a sin that they're dealing with. And the first reaction is, well, you shouldn't judge me or I've been forgiven. What are you saying about me? The point is not to condemn or to say that you have somehow lost your salvation to point out that we should be living in holiness. Rather, it is to call us to higher and higher obedience to Christ because this is how much God hates sin. And if God hates it this much, then we who are of God should hate it that much too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your gospel. Lord, we know that the gospel can be hard to hear because it begins with the ways in which we have failed, the ways in which we have lived in disobedience to you. But Lord, we know that there is good news coming through the life of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would live in light of that uh, new life that we have. And as a result of that, that we would hate sin as much as you do. And that we would live in a way that would turn away from sin and turn to you in a constant life of repentance before you. Father, bless us now as we respond to you through singing and through uh, this invitation. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So I'd like to invite you as Bill and Jeannie come. If you've ever never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to call you to repent of your sins and to come and to place your faith in Jesus Christ by coming forward. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and I invite you, if you feel the Lord leading you to respond to the gospel call, won't you come forward and talk to me about how you can follow Jesus in, in faith and how you can be baptized and walk after Him. 
Or if you'd like to join with us in membership here at Antioch West, we'd be glad to receive you as a member of this church if you're already a believer and have trusted in Jesus Christ. But if the Lord is calling you to respond, won't you do that now?